Thank you very much. It's great to be with you again this morning. And uh, I just was really encouraged by the worship this morning. Thank you so much, Mark and the team. And uh, it's just incredibly blessed and I find it really helpful to re-engage with you guys, God's people here. There's something about the dynamic, isn't there, of being together. You know, I know we can worship the Lord on our own and we do at home, in the car, at work and so on. But there's something special about when we meet together. Don't you agree? Okay, so I'm going to be speaking from John the Apostle's third letter. I'm going to read the whole letter. It's only 14 verses. So here we go. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, just as you're progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Lovely letter there that John has written to encourage the people there. Joy and I, my wife and I, we recently went back to the place where I was born and grew up. I brought back lots of memories. Uh, I hadn't been back there for over 40 years. And things that I hadn't even thought of for at least 50 years. For example, there's a church near the secondary school I went to. There is a picture of it there. And it brought brought back memories that I hadn't thought about in, in decades and uh, I went to secondary school, Lower Sixth, and we had an art lesson, and we had to go to the churchyard and draw the church. So I sat down with my uh, clipboard and my piece of paper and my pencil and drew away, and I was fairly pleased you know, with what I'd drawn. And then the, the teacher came along and he said to me, uh, you haven't got the detail on the spire. If you look there, there's some detail there. Now what he didn't know was that I was short-sighted, and I didn't have my glasses, <laughs> So I couldn't see the detail anyway, but I didn't say anything to him. So that was one memory that came back to me. There was another memory though. I think it was from the time when I was a very little boy, maybe five or six years of age. 
And we went uh, along the coast because it was Aberdeen, which is by the coast in northeast Scotland. And we were going along the coast for a picnic with family and uh, other relatives. And we were walking along to this village down the coast. And it was a few miles. Now, all I remember of that trip was coming back. I must have been, like I said, five or six years old. And I think it was four or five miles and there was no pushchair, and I was walking. And I remember, I was really, really exhausted as we walked back home. How I got back, I can't remember. I wonder if you've ever been on, a ti- on any tiring walks. Maybe up a hill, or a mountain, or maybe you've been out in bad weather, and you, can't, you just got caught in bad weather, and you want to get back as soon as you can. Or maybe you just got weary in other ways got weary at times, weary of life, weary of troubles, weary of obstacles, weary of work, weary of family, weary of fun. You just got weary. Well, the Bible has uh, interesting things to say about both walking and running. But here, John focuses on walking, except he is using it as a metaphor for living out the Christian life. So the first thing I want to bring out from this letter is quite simply this. Walk in the truth. Walk in the truth. In verses 3 and 4, John writes, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Now, by children, John means those who have come to know the Lord through his ministry. It would read very differently if the Apostle John had used the word run instead of walk. It would read like this. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to run in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are running in the truth. But he doesn't use the word run. He uses the word walk. He uses the word walking. I wonder why the Apostle John decides to use the word walk. Well, we know that walking is slower than running. Walking is less hurried than running. It takes you longer to get somewhere if you walk rather than run. People generally walk more than they run. It's a daily, moment-by-moment, everyday occurrence. We learn to walk before we can run. And walking is not a particularly exciting activity. But we would soon miss it if we lost the ability to do it. It's something that we may often take for granted. And even if you're unable to physically walk, you can still walk in the truth. And the Apostle John commends Gaius for continuing to walk in the truth. In fact, he says it gives him great joy. And yet, we know that in our culture, there are pressures to be in a rush in many different ways. Have you ever thought how often you're in a hurry? There's someone I know who lives near us, and they always seem to be in a hurry. They rush out of their house into their car. They rush off in their car. Pick the children up from school or to take the children here to this event and that event. To pick the children up. To go to work. To come back from work. To do shopping. And they rush, rush, rush. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Or you're feeling under some kind of time pressure to get things done. 
by this or that deadline. Now, I know some pressure is good, but it can make us you know, drive faster. Uh, for example, there's a young guy, I saw a little snippet on the internet this week, a young guy in a hurry driving his van, and he was obviously in some kind of hurry because as he approached the roundabout, he didn't slow down. In fact, he hit something and he took off into the air. I'm sure he didn't intend that, but there you go. We can take shortcuts, it can make us frazzled, it can make us irritable. We live in a culture that expects things to be done quickly. We want faster internet connection. We want high fiber broadband throughout the country. We want it to be fast. We don't like waiting. We want next day or even same day delivery. Can I get it coming the next day or even the same day? Next thing we know is we'll have drones, if they haven't already done it, landing on our doorstep, bringing books, bringing clothes, bringing pizzas. I read actually this week even that there are a drone, I think it crashed actually, it was due to take some medical supplies from one hospital to another. We seem to be in a hurry. What's the quickest route that I can go by on Google Maps? What's the traffic situation like today? Are there any red lines on the map that I can avoid so that I can take the shortest and the quickest route? We want instant access savings on our bank accounts. I don't know if you've ever gone to the supermarket and you've evaluated which queue is going to be the quickest. I found myself doing it the other day. I went into the supermarket and I looked to see, uh, now that supermarket checkout assistant is quicker than that one, despite the fact that they've got less on the conveyor belt than they have. So I think I'll choose that one. And I watch both queues to see which one is going to go the quickest. Find, sometimes, be like that with prayer. I would like instant answers, Father. You know, I've been praying for two whole weeks. This blessed thing that we've been doing, we've been praying for a long time now. Why have I not seen the answers, oh God? We live in this kind of culture, and we have to be aware that we can be very our culture. And yet, we're called to walk in the truth. I read this interesting thought from Eugene Peterson. He writes this. One aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. There is a great market for religious experience in the world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Wow. And that's from his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Very interesting. In Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, which is called The Message, He brings the Romans 12 verse about worship right down to earth. He translates it this way. So here's what I want you to do, the Apostle Paul writing. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Wow. Everyday life. Walk in the truth. One of the aspects of social media, and I don't know how many of you are on social media or influenced by social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and there may be other things that I've never heard of, Twitter, and so on. 
uh, one of the aspects of social media that we need to beware of is giving the false impression that unless we're eating at a super restaurant or enjoying a carefree holiday or about to fly off to some exotic location, the number of times I see posts saying, I am at Heathrow Airport, I am at Hong Kong Airport, I am at New York Airport, and I'm sitting there at home. And it's wet and cold and dark. And the children have been fighting. And, and I'm feeling as if somehow there's something less about my life if I'm not flying off to some exotic location or enjoying afternoon tea at the Ritz. We can sometimes feel, well, my life is dull and uninspiring. But I like the title of Eugene Peterson's book that I quoted from, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Verse 3 of John's third letter gave me great joy Great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. So Gaius, whom he's writing to, is faithful to the truth. What does that mean? Faithfulness to the truth. Well, it speaks of someone who is reliable, dependable, consistent, trustworthy, someone who walks in the light of what's been revealed to them. Now, I've been part of this church for many decades. I'm trying to think 1970-something. So, yeah, it's a long time since the early 1970s. So I've, in my course of my being part of this church, have observed people over many, many decades. And I have to say, we are so blessed at King's Church High Wycombe. We are very blessed indeed because we have got many people who are faithful to the truth. This morning, as I, I woke up, what time did I wake up? It was about 5, in fact it was 7.04. Looked at my clock, it was 7.04 when I woke up. I thought, time to get up, so got up and made a cup of tea and had a shower and all that kind of stuff. And I looked out of our bedroom window, it was about 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock this morning, and I saw one of the guys from our church, something under his arm, and he was walking to William Ramsey School. 8 o'clock. Why? part of the setup team. Now I know for a fact, because I know that person, I've known that person for decades, that this is not a one-off. Faithful to the truth. We have many people here, and so if you're one of those people, and you probably wouldn't stand up if I said, oh, stand up, uh, but I know who you are, and you probably are aware too, that you've been faithful to the truth. And like John, he's saying, it gives me great joy And I'm sure the Lord would say it gives me great joy to know that you have been faithful to the truth and you continue to walk in it. And can I encourage all of us to be exactly the same? Walk in the truth. It may not be exciting to walk. It may not be a big adventure to walk. But it's something that is very, very important. Being faithful is underrated, but not by Jesus. In the parable of the the talents Jesus tells, the master, i.e. God, says to his servant, i.e. us, well done, good and faithful servant. Of Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. It's one of the attributes of the Lord. He is faithful. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to the will of the Father. His faithfulness cost him everything. But out of it flowed blessing to the world. 
Even now in his faithfulness, Jesus intercedes for you and me. Well, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. I mean, where would we be? Let's face it. Where would you be today if it was not for the faithfulness of Almighty God? Where would I be if it wasn't for the faithfulness of Almighty God? I am so glad that Jesus not only upholds the universe by his word of power, but the Lord upholds you and me by his faithfulness and by his power. Because I'm a bit like the moon. I don't know about you. I tend to wax and wane. I tend to have periods when I feel wildly enthusiastic for Jesus and I feel I could give my life for him. And other times when I think, is this worth it? What's the point? But Jesus is faithful. And because of his faithfulness, we are kept until that great and glorious day. Amen? God is faithful to us. So let's, in turn, make it our aim to be faithful to the truth. To walk in the light of what the Lord has done for us. Now, in this situation that John writes, there's obviously good and bad. There are both good and bad attitudes. It's true in life in general. So how should we respond? Well, John tells us in verse 11, imitate what is good. Verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Now, growing up, and I've told you something about my growing up, but growing up, my parents were keen on me getting a good education. That I do remember. They weren't believers, but they were keen on me, they were kind and loving, they weren't believers, they worked hard, they were keen on me getting a good education, I do remember that, but I never really learned anything practical, some of you here I'm sure parents have modelled something very practical for you, so you've got skills in life that I've never had, so I can remember when we moved into our first house, after a while we decided that we decided that I would decorate the uh, bathroom, that I would wallpaper it. Now, I had over the years observed my father doing some decorating, some painting and decorating, but I'd never done it. So I was completely green as to how to go about doing it. So what I did was I got the wallpaper in the bathroom. I thought, well, bathroom, small room, easy, fine, good, let's go. There was no YouTube in those days to tell you what to do. And so I put, I said, okay, the corner of the room, what I'll do is I'll put the wallpaper against the corner of the room, the edge of the wallpaper against the corner of the room. What I didn't realize was, though, that unless I got it perfectly aligned with the perpendicular, then the next uh, piece of wallpaper wouldn't quite be straight up and down, it would be slightly wonky, and the next one would be slightly wonky, and by the time I got to the next corner, it would be pretty wonky. But I didn't realize that until I got to the next corner, and I stood back, and I looked, and I thought, oh, the pattern's not matching at the top. That looks a bit wonky. And I'd committed myself by then, and it was too late. What I should have done is I should have, I realized now, I should have found out what the perpendicular was. Now, the way to do that, and I know I'm probably teaching many grannies here to suck eggs, but uh, you never know. There might be somebody here who was as naive as I was in those days. So what you have to do is you have to find the perpendicular, and you have to use what's called a plumb line. A plumb line, so you have a weight, you have a piece of string or whatever, and you have a weight on it, and that way you can find the perpendicular. So you can put it up against the wall, and uh, you get your pencil out once that stops moving, get your pencil out and mark and mark. And then line your wallpaper up with that, and you've got perpendicular. And then you've got the pattern matching. It's all straight up and down. It looks ever so nice. But I didn't realize that. 
at the time. As Christians, we know that the plumb line for living is Jesus Christ. He is the plumb line. He is the best example. He was humble. I love Jesus' humility. When I think about the qualities that Jesus had, you know, God incarnate, master of the universe, he comes, washing feet, touching lepers, eating with publicans and sinners, you know, the humility of Jesus, wow. He wasn't afraid of man either. The fear of man, it says in Proverbs, is a snare. Sometimes I find myself a little bit of fear of man. Jesus didn't have that. No fear of man. He was obedient to the will of the Father, even when it cost him his life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was gracious and kind, and so on and so forth. So Jesus is the plumb line for how we are to live. But also, in our walk as Christians, the Lord brings, I believe, people into our lives who are good examples to us. And I think this is one of the great things about the church, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Is that true? If you're born again, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow, amazing. Christ in me, Christ in you. Yes, I'm flawed. Yes, we're all flawed. But there's something about Christ in us that reflects or should reflect the glory of God to one another. Now, I can and we can all look for people's imperfections. You can look for Ron's imperfections. I'll tell you what, you won't have to look very hard to find them. Okay, And if I was to look through the lens of criticism, of being very critical of you, I could find fault with you probably fairly easily. If you're married, I would just talk to your spouse for a start. (laughs) Or if you've got kids, I'd ask them. I remember uh, Derek Brown, who used to help us in the 1980s, a kind of apostolic figure, he said to his sons, I think his sons were teenagers at the time, he said to his sons, uh, what do you think my strength is? And they said, oh, it's confidence, dad. He said, what do you think my weakness is? They said, overconfidence. (laughs) So there you go. But the Lord, I believe, and certainly it's true in my case, the Lord has brought people into my life very graciously and kindly, who, I know it's, you know, they're not perfect by any means, I'm not saying that, but they reflect something of Jesus to me. And as I've observed them up close and fairly personal, I've seen something of Christ in them, and I think, wow, that's good. I like that. I want to be like that. I want to imitate that, because I can see they're imitating Christ. They're imitating Christ, the plumb line. And I see in their life, and I see how it's working out in practically. Yes, I can be inspired by biblical examples. I'm inspired by Job, his patience, through suffering. I'm inspired by that. I enjoy reading his story and seeing that great man of God. And Elijah as well, how he confronted the prophets of Baal, and yet he was fearful on another occasion. Yes, I'm inspired by that too. But I do believe the Lord has put us into the church, the community of God's people. And one of the things that we try and encourage here at King's is for people to get connected. Because you get to know people and see Christ in people, the better connected you are. If you are very loosely connected, you don't really see that in people. It's just a, hi, how are you? I'm fine. See you next week. Okay. Is that really what church is about? Hello, how are you? I'm fine. See you next week. I hope it's more than that. I want to get up close and personal with people and the Lord has provided me with some 
fantastic examples over the years. I'm seeking to imitate. I'm still seeking to imitate them. So let me give you some examples here uh, this morning. Frank Matthews, who was one of the founders and led the church before John, before Neil. Frank led the church. And I, he was my father-in-law, so I was able to really observe his life very much up close and personal. What did I learn from him? What did I want to imitate from him? Well, one, he was a very godly man, committed, sold out for the gospel. Two, he was a man of wisdom. He, always gave, he often gave wise counsel. Was he perfect in his wisdom? No. But he often gave wise counsel. I thought, hmm, I'd like to be able to do that. And he was an encourager par excellence. And I would see him, it just oozed out of him all the time. And I'm, you know, he was there and I'm kind of seeking to get there still. Because he was far, far better at encouraging than I am. Now, Stuart Reed's not here, but Christine, please tell him when you get home. Stuart Reed, Stuart spoke last week. Again, I'm sitting there up in Hazelmere and Stuart's preaching. I'm thinking, I've got to follow that next week. Wow. This is good. This is solid. This is gospel. And Stuart has been a great inspiration and encouragement to me. Now, let me give you an example of that, a concrete example. I was in India with Stuart a few years ago and Neil, and we were visiting somewhere remote. You've probably never heard of it. Apple. We came back on Apularam or something like that. Anyway, I can't even remember it now. But anyway, and we had to come back to Hyderabad and we came back on an overnight train. It was Saturday night. We came back. We were due to arrive in Hyderabad Saturday, Sunday morning. So we were on this overnight train and Stuart was due to speak at the church in Hyderabad that Sunday morning. So bearing in mind, we've been on this long train journey overnight and I'm thinking, oh, I'm so tired. As we're beginning to arrive into Hyderabad, I think, oh. I really do need a decent night's sleep. It's, you know, it's hot and TDD. Anyway, someone meets us at the, the train stations. And if you've ever been to train stations in India, you know they're pretty you know, wild and hundreds and thousands of people and noise and heat and everything. So we get off the train and someone kindly meets us and we get in the, I think it was a minivan, and we drove off to the church. Now, Stuart, due to preach that Sunday morning, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm so tired. And, He's got his Bible under his arm. As soon as the door opens, what does he do? He runs. Literally. He runs into the church. Why? Because he wants to proclaim the word of God. And I thought, wow, I still remember that. I still remember that. And Stuart's dedication to the gospel. His dedication to proclaiming the truth of God's word. And I thought, wow. He's here. I'm here. And I'm trying to get there as well. Imitate that which is good. And it's good to get up close and personal in order to do that. Dear friend, in verse 11, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Who is influencing you? Who influences you in your life? Who do you have as a living example? Yes, we've got the plumb line of Jesus. I get that. Yes, I've got Job. Yes, I've got Elijah and others. Solomon with his wisdom. Wow, wouldn't mind some of that, Lord. Thank you. But I want to see living examples before me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to say again, thank you so much as I'm just glancing around the congregation here. I see people who've just been, you've just been amazingly faithful for so many years. I could embarrass you this morning by getting you to stand up, but I won't. Gaius and Demetrius are well spoken of. They were good examples to the believers. 
Diotrephes, on the other hand, was a bad example. Verse 9, Diotrephes loves to be first. Diotrephes, John writes in verses 9 and 10, will not welcome us. He is spreading malicious nonsense about us. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. I know who I'd rather be friends with. Diotrephes is very focused on himself, are you? Am I? He wants the spotlight to be on him. It's about him. And yet the spotlight on us can never satisfy. You know, if we're self-centered, it can never, ever satisfy. I read even recently the musician Ed Sheeran, you know, probably at the moment, the most successful musical artist possibly in the world. I read recently he's done the, the highest grossing concert tour ever. He's currently got, I don't know how many singles or whatever they are these days, in the charts. Megastar. Appeared in a recent film as himself. Megastar. And yet, he writes, I get anxiety every day. Wow. Come on. You're rich, successful. You've got the world at your feet. You've got a, a massive housing complex in England. How can that be? I get anxiety every day. I also read, again this week, Brad Pitt, the Hollywood actor. Brad Pitt twice voted the sexiest man in the world. Whatever that means. Uh, And he's out promoting his latest film. In a recent interview, he said this, I am riddled with self-doubt. Riddled with self-doubt. Come on. You, sexiest man in the world, twice. Hollywood star, world at your feet. Riddled with self-doubt. Wow. You know, when the spotlight is on us, when we make it about us, I'll tell you what, we will never, ever be satisfied. Just won't happen. Gaius, on the other hand, John says, is faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. So what was happening was missionaries were being sent by John and Gaius was welcoming them into his house even though he didn't know who they were. It's probably house church in those days as well. Whereas Diotrephes was rejecting them. Gaius, it strikes me, was an open person. Diotrephes was a closed person. Gaius was open to others. Diotrephes was closed off to others. Gaius supported the work of the gospel. Diotrephes resisted. Gaius was relationally well connected. Diotrephes wasn't. Who would you rather be? Imitate what is good. We long to feel valued. We long to feel secure. We long to be at peace inside. We long to be happy. And that's fine. But we can be lured into thinking that the focus needs to be on us. In order for us to feel those things. But it's not the case. Jesus models something completely different. He models about giving. He models about loving. He models about serving. And in that... In some glorious way, wow, we become the people that God always intended us to become. You know, I've recently seen, up close and personal again, a person who was not walking with the Lord. They weren't walking with the Lord. They had opportunities to walk with the Lord. They grew up in a lovely Christian family who gave them every opportunity to walk with the Lord, but they decided they didn't want to. They wanted to go their own sweet way. However, Praise God, the Lord was still on their case. Remember that parable of the lost sheep? 
99 who don't need rescuing, and one. And Jesus goes off to find the one. Well, Jesus was on the hunt for this one person and found them again and brought them back. And as I saw what was, and I still see it, what was happening in their life, I could see there was a transformation going on in their life as they began to serve the Lord, as they began to walk in the truth, as they began to be faithful to the truth. And as I was observing their life, I felt the Lord saying to me, I'm going to make that person become all that I want them to become. I'm going to release all the gifts and talents and abilities. And even as I'm saying it to you this morning, I feel more convinced than ever about the truth of that. That the Lord's going to bring them to a place of great maturity in him. Whereby all the gifts and talents that the Lord has given them are going to come to fruition. And they're going to be like a great uh, fruit tree covered in fruit. Hallelujah. The Lord wants that for you. If you've been someone who's been drifting off, if you're someone who's like that lost sheep, then Jesus, I would say, is seeking you this morning and wants to bring you back. Don't be closed. Don't shut yourself in. Because if you shut yourself in, you shut yourself out. Don't be someone who's closed like Diotrephes. Don't be someone who resists like Diotrephes. Because he will never and never find satisfaction in that, and neither will you. But if you're open to what Jesus wants to do in your life, if you say, okay, I know I've stumbled, I know I've failed, but nevertheless, I want to walk with you, even if it's haltingly, the Lord will be by your side to help you. And he will make you become all that he intended for you and release all the gifts and talents. And I'll tell you what, you will be amazed at what Jesus will do in your life. Imitate what is good, and ultimately our imitation is of Christ himself who demonstrated a self-giving love. So just to finish, how well are you relationally connected? How well are you relationally connected into the body of the church? Because we're not into lone rangers. We're not into people doing their own thing. No, no, no. That's not the way God intended it. We're the body of Christ. We need to be connected in. It's not really an option. If we think it is, we're deceiving ourselves. Have you got some godly people in your life who reveal something of Christ to you? I hope that you have. I hope that you're not simply looking from a distance, but you get up close and observe their life. Imitate the good you see in them. Where are you today in your walk with God? Are you persevering? Are we persevering with bless? I know it's not easy. Even as I was driving down to Wickham this morning, I was thinking about those people on my list. Haven't seen any signs yet, but I want to persevere. Are you wearied by some of life's challenges? Wearied by the state of the nation, wondering where it's all heading? Walk in the truth. Be faithful to it. Two disciples were walking along the road. They were weary. They were discouraged. But Luke tells us Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. As we live our lives and do the everyday mundane, thi- mundane things, Jesus comes by his spirit to be with us, to strengthen us, to support us, and encourage us. Amen? So let's walk in the truth and let's imitate that which is good. Amen? Amen. Bless you.